Amen. Thank you, Wes. You may be seated. We do welcome those of you who are uh, observing or seeing the live stream. We know many people are on vacation this weekend. We expect to see you next week. Uh, also, those are out for COVID re reasons. We just want to let you know we're praying for you. So uh, just pray you hang in there. We know it's tough for many of you right now. Psalm 139, if you'll go ahead and turn to Psalm 139, and also go ahead and mark Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at two different places this morning. And, and there's one thing that uh, I added uh, in my study this week for us on the sermon today as it relates to this whole idea of the incredible life and how you live that incredible life. And the main reason I added it is I had so many of you, by way of email, uh, encourage the, uh, me in the message, but also say, well, what about this part of it? And I've added that this morning, and you'll see what we're talking about here in just a moment. In the psalm, as I said over the last two weeks, it appears David wrote this uh, possibly later in life. He's looking back over his life. He realized that God did have a plan. He did have a purpose. It was fulfilled in that purpose. But he goes even further back than that and realizes that God had a plan from the very start. From when he was in his mother's womb, there was potential. There was an idea of what God desired for David to become. And the same goes not only for David, it goes for us also. So, if you'll look on your outline, the incredible life includes, number one, realizing God created you particularly or uniquely. Look at 139, verse 13. You formed, for you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. And so we see there's intentionality about we weren't just something that was thrown out here. No, we were a masterpiece based on what we read here in this passage. A masterpiece creation. We also learned that in Ephesians 2.10 that it says we are his workmanship. It could easily be translated we are his masterpiece. And so when you begin to look at your life, some of you may say, you know something, I see my life, I don't see it as a masterpiece. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's been tough. It's been grueling. There's times I don't even know where I am in life. I don't understand. Many of the things that are happening to me. Well, let me just say this. There is a plan. There is a purpose. And God desires to do something great in and through us. So next, discover your God-given purpose. Verse 15, he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And here it is, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Skillfully wrought. It implies, again, as I've already said, intention. There is intention when it comes to your life. And then today, we're going to be looking at the, the next part to what we started last week, living your God-given potential. Not only realizing what it is, but actually living it. So look at verse 16. He says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. There was a whole idea of who I was, was in your mind, in your heart. And in your books, they were all written, and this is phenomenal to me, the days fashioned for me when there were yet none of them. Before my first breath was taken, outside my mother's womb, before it all came together, before I even knew who I was, you knew who I was. And you had a plan, you had a purpose, and there's great potential that you've given me. And we see that so clearly. So look on your outline. Living your God-given potential requires the right perspective and attitude concerning, and this is what we saw last week, your childhood. Some of you came from very difficult upbringing, uh, dysfunction, maybe even abuse. 
But I'm just going to tell you, there's many people that I know who've come from that and possibly even worse, who have great ministry platforms that they use to help other people. And, and it's difficult. Some of you are still dealing with the abuses that you had when you were a child. Second of all, constraints, the limitations, the deficiencies. We've got to have the right perspective about certain things to know that we can grow through those things into the potential God desires. How about this? We need the right perspective and attitude about circumstances. Some of you are dealing with difficult circumstances right now. What's your attitude about that? And then last week, we also looked at this whole idea of cultivation. Are you growing? Are you maturing as a Christian? Now, today we're going to look at this. What is the right perspective and attitude concerning challenges? When it comes to life, how many of you agree that there are challenges? And I want to point out three of those here today. The first one is the idea of overcoming fear. In John chapter 14, Jesus has basically just told his disciples, hey, I'm going to leave the scene. I'm going to leave the scene. He's basically described his death and uh, his resurrection, but they seem to be more focused on the fact he was going to die. He was no longer going to be with them. And, and yet Jesus is comforting them and basically telling them, no, 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 I'm, I'm still going to be around. It won't be me in the physical body, but you can still draw from me and all those things. But then he says in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't walk around in fear. Now, that says a lot when he sells, tells the disciples that story. Because listen, the whole reason Jesus is going to be killed is, is based on the, what he's trying to promote, not only himself, but what he's put into his disciples that they're going to promote. And basically, they're going to get the leader, who is Jesus, and guess who logically they're going to come for next? It would be them. They're the ones that are now going to be given the idea of bringing the movement even further, the movement of following Jesus. And so they had to be concerned at that point. And he tells them, I oh, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't fear that. Well, there's a lot to be said considering 11 of them will be executed and one will possibly die in exile. That says a lot, doesn't it? It's just don't be afraid. So, so really, when, when it comes to this whole idea of fear, think about the fears that you have. Number one, how do we overcome fear? Number one, discover the source of your fear. Where's the source of the fear coming from? Paul writes two letters to Timothy. Timothy is a younger man. Now, he's not a teenager by any means, but he's, he's actually a, a leader of a church. And, and he's there, and it's obvious that in these letters, that Timothy is timid, Timothy is shy, he's, he, he, he's showing signs of weakness, uh, he's, he seems to be discouraged when you read the letters. And listen to what Paul tells him in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has, not given, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, I want you to think about what this verse says. It is loaded with information here. First of all, a spirit of fear, based on what we read here, is not from whom? It's not from God. That, that's not from him. What he's talking about here, this idea of fear, it also represents lack of confidence. It means easily intimidated or not ashamed. He's basically saying God hasn't created you. Put the potential that he's placed in you, the gifts he's given you, for you to be intimidated by anyone else. 
for you to lack the courage uh, that, that others, when they come against you, for you to lack courage. He's saying that's not of God. He said, but he's given you power. That literally means the fortitude to overcome, to stand strong. He's given you love. And that love is really, if you think about it, it's the passion, it's the motivation for why you do what you do to overcome your fear. It's because you have a love for other people. You know what they need, and so therefore you overcome your own fear, your own lack of courage to pour into someone else. And then he says this, a sound mind. It literally reads a secure mind. How many of you, when you fear something, it, it, it just stays on your mind? It gets in there, and it embellishes. It gets large. It, for me, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to have more fear at night. How many of you have fear? You wake up in the middle of the night, something hits your heart, and all of a sudden, you're, you're deep in fear. You're deep in anxiety, only to awake the next morning. How many of you have seen this and realize, why was I so caught up in that? I'm convinced that the enemy, again, as I said a couple weeks ago, he thrives on bringing fear to our hearts. If he can bring fear to your heart, he will literally paralyze you with it. He will bring whatever God is doing to a standstill. I've seen it many times in my own life. So we got to discover the source of our fear. Next, overcoming fear. Admit your fear. Admit it. The whole thing when it comes to overcoming something is you got to admit you got a problem with it. Everybody teaches us that. Admit your fear. Talk about it with God. Bring it to God. I remember in the early days of ministry, uh, I was intimidated by everything. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, when, when the mantle of the pastorate was laid on me, I, I'm just going to be honest. That, that was the most intimidating feeling I've ever had in my life. I was the associate pastor here for several years before I became the pastor, and, and uh, I, I'm sure the former pastor didn't like I had all these great ideas, and why don't we do this, and why don't we do that, and, and he's like, yeah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> we've all got those young guys. I got them now. I got two or three of them right now on staff. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but it's that whole idea that, 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 that but through it all, once it, that mantle was passed on to me, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get what he was talking about. This is heavy. <laughs> and it's a whole idea that, that seemed like my whole prayer life was going before God, praying for courage, praying for that whole idea to overcome my fear. When I stand in the pulpit, when I teach God's word, when I'm one-on-one with someone trying to teach them the principles of God's word, it seemed like everything that he asked me to do, I felt so ill-equipped. But you know something? I knew he called me to it. I knew if he had the calling on my life, the potential was there. And I stayed with it, and I stayed with it. And, and listen, was there a lot of hard knocks? Absolutely. Did I make a fool of myself at times? Yes. But you know something? God continues to show himself worthy. He's given me not a spirit of fear anymore, but a spirit of courage. Does fear occasionally still visit me? Yeah, at times. But nothing like it was. Not even close to what it was. Now that I've seen the power of God on my life in such a way that I see him doing things through me that I could never imagine myself doing, it's really been one of those things where I just kind of go with it now. It's become a part of me that I just kind of walk in the power of God and what he desires. Now, I'm not saying this from an arrogant point of view. I'm not saying that everything that comes out of me oozes of God. No, I still deal with the flesh just like you do. But I'm here to tell you, 
when you grow as a Christian and you begin to overcome things in the Spirit of God and realize He hasn't given you the spirit of lack of confidence and insecurity and all those things, He's given you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, being able to discern what the enemy's throwing at me and what he's throwing at me, what the world's throwing at me and what my flesh is trying to gain. It's all about that. And I've learned that along the way. Next, overcoming fear. Never be paralyzed by your fear. I, I hate to keep using this as an example, but this is my, my example of this. 20, almost 22 years ago when I became the pastor here, I was... After about a couple months of it, I was ready to run. I was ready to get out of town. If you, I'm serious. You can ask my wife. I, there, were, there were times where just the, the burden, I'm, I'm going to call it, it was, the burden of standing up here on Sunday mornings was overwhelming to me. She would literally see a visible change in me come Saturday. The closer the clock got to Sunday morning at 8.30, I think, is when we had our first service, I, I, my, my whole disposition would change. She said, I'd get mean. <laughs> because of the pressure, because I knew it was coming, because I knew it was going to say, I'm not near as mean as I used to be now. <laughs> I think, anyway, that's the way I see it. But anyway, overcoming fear, you can't be paralyzed. Push through. Next, accept courage from God in the face of your fear. God wants to bring strength. He wants to make you strong. He wants to give you courage. Joshua, you know the story. He's just been, been declared the new leader of the nation of, the, of Israel, of the Israelites. And Moses has passed on. And guess who's up now? Joshua. Four times in Joshua chapter 1, God has to remind Joshua where his strength's going to come from and where his courage is going to come from. Four times he tells them, don't fear. Be of good courage. Be courageous. And we see how that worked out. Joshua became a mighty leader. Next, accept fear as the price for your growth. How, how many of you realize that none of us like to change? You know why we don't like to change? Because there's a fear that comes with change. It involves risk sometimes. It involves all these different things. And when you see, hear the word change, and, and I don't know about you, but the older I get, how many of you, the less I like change? How many of you are figuring that out? You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I had, anyway, but it's that idea that you, <laughs> so I was going to reveal what someone told me, but I can't do that up here. But anyway, but, but the, price, <laughs> the price for your growth. Next, recommit yourself to your purpose and passion. Now, let me tell you what fear does to me sometimes. Fear sometimes will just shut me down. And I have to literally intentionally overcome and, and be courageous. But sometimes I have to renew what God's called me to do. Okay? I got to understand the bigger picture. Whether you're a parent trying to parent kids. I mean, how many of you agree that it, it, the spirit of fear is around when it comes to parenting? Amen. Yeah. And, and you're sitting there, you know, I don't want to make the wrong decision. I want to make the right decision. Plus, those kids are scary sometimes, you know. And, and we're sitting there just trying to figure it out. It doesn't matter where you are. Recommit yourself. There's times you got to take a step back and say, what has God called me to? Okay, i got to get the big picture, and now i got to bring purpose and passion to what he's called me to do. Next, feed your faith, not your fear. The one you feed is the one that will win every time. You feed your faith, 
your faith will grow. You feed your fear, and it will grow. And fear has a way of spreading like cancer. Fear has a way of not just neatly confining itself to one thing. All of a sudden, if you don't capture it there and overcome it there, it will spread to other areas of your life. Have you ever noticed that? It does. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, look at what it says. He says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. He's basically saying faith is challenged and tested many times when we face fear. Then he says this, that we may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a whole idea that when we see him face to face, when he's finally revealed in person, that we can stand there as someone who has faith that's been tested. And not only been tested, but it's been successful. And basically, in the context here, it's a faith that overcomes fear. And then this, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul's concluding. He's basically saying, watch, uh, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. We're called to be courageous as followers of Jesus, to be courageous. Next, the right perspective and attitude concerning overcoming failure. Failure. Listen, if, if, if I look at my life now, and I've had a lot of failure. I have. I've been around here long enough to know that you, some of you have dealt with failure in the past. But the thing that's admirable, the thing that I think God is just standing there waiting to see our reaction to is what do we do with our failure? What do we do with it? If you were to look at Psalm 37, listen, listen to what it says. The steps of a good man. This is someone with the, the good and right intentions are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. He's pleased with him. Though he fall or though he fail, he shall, utter, he shall not utterly be cast down. It doesn't have to be that it destroys that person. It doesn't have to be that all of a sudden, well, that's over with. No, it's that idea that he wants to come through. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord does what? He upholds him with his hands. He upholds him. But for some of us, we can't deal with failure. I, I have a hard time dealing with failure. Let me just put it to the test. This is how you know when you have a hard time with failure. How many of you have a very difficult time saying, I'm sorry? Eep. How come every man's hand has not gone up at this point? <laughs> and, and that's so true. I mean, we really have a hard time admitting failure, sometimes on the simplest plane. I've had Tina say, just say, I'm sorry, let's get over this. No, I will not. You know. <laughs> Yesterday, it's just typical for me. I have these ideas to do projects. I told you, I can't do a thing. Bless my heart. <laughs> the only thing I wanted to do, we, we bought some bikes, and we love the bike. That's one thing we love to do together. We go biking and all that. We don't, we don't wear the uniforms these, some of these people wear and shave our body hair. We don't do all that <laughs> stuff. You know what I'm saying? We, we just like to get on a bike and go. Well, I have this rack 
to put the bikes on. And I can't find anywhere to put it. I'm kind of limited with the location. So all I wanted to do was bring a, uh, these hooks. They were about 10 feet or probably about 8 feet in there down to about 5 feet. And I thought, okay, I'll just follow the straight line. There's your stud. I poked so many holes through the sheetrock. I mean, you just, I really wondered, did they even put studs in this stupid wall, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I'm missing, I'm hitting, I'm finally, oh, 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 it's solid, it's solid. And it breaks off inside. I mean, I'm, by this point, I'm just, I didn't cuss. <laughs> I didn't. Like Junior Hill, the famous evangelist, I wrote it down, signed my name to it, but I didn't say it. <laughs> no, no. No, I, I, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> but I was highly frustrated. Tina comes out, what you doing? You just need to go back in the house right now. <laughs> I was about to lose it. And the whole reason I'm losing it is I never have wins when it comes to projects. There's always something stupid that messes it up. And, and I do, I struggle. And, and I went, I, just in that brief but two-hour period of taking that down to here twice, I went through every bit of this. Number one, don't let failure defeat you. When you poke holes all in your sheetrock, it's pretty defeating, I'm just going to say. Okay? Number two, never be paralyzed by your failure. No, I did not give up. I just kept poking until I found something. Welcome the opportunity to learn from your failure. I don't even want to talk about that. Allow your failure to redirect you. Nothing there. Nothing there. Just keep going. Always ask why, not who, as it relates to your failure. Now, normally I can blame Tina on these neat little projects because she's the one that wants most of the projects done. You think you could do, oh, I hate that phrase. You know, uh, you know it's like, kill me now. You know, just, just you know. Because I know it's going to be difficult, for me anyway. And, and so, 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 so I'm sitting there, and so I had no one to blame but myself. This was my project. But here's what happens to many of us. Because we're so insecure, because we can't say sorry, because we can't deal with failure, what we do is we try to place blame on someone. Now, I did blame the people who invented the, uh, the hook, and I did get around to the person building the house. I'm like, Come on now, you know. But, but you gotta, you got to quit looking to who to blame into the whole idea of why was there failure in the first place. For me, it was total incompetence. <laughs> no, but what you see here is you got to get past that. Who to blame is a sign of insecurity. Next, accept failure as the price for your growth and then recommit yourself to your purpose and passion. I finally got the hooks up, the racks there, just a lot of holes in the sheetrock. That's all. Okay, let's move on. All right. Right perspective and attitude concerning overcoming the flesh. This is something that uh, I added. And the reason for that is really, if you're going to live the incredible life, if you're going to live the potential God's placed in you to, to fulfill what Psalm 139 is talking about, you've got to learn how to battle the flesh. Because if you don't, and you don't do it effectively, you won't, you, you won't have a lot to show with your potential. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, been there. So in Romans chapter 7, Paul, in the passage we're about to read, is basically describing the battle with his flesh. 
Now, again, how many of you are, are pretty pumped when, when you sit here and you read about someone like Paul who admits he struggles? How many of you that's encouraging? Peter, you remember Peter when Jesus was like, every time he opened his mouth, it was like, that's me. I would say the same thing. You know, he's always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I mean, it breeds comfort in us, doesn't it? Well, here, here's, here's what we're looking at. Overcoming the flesh, number one, come to terms with your condition. Every one of you were born with a condition, okay? Every one of you, every one of us was born with a condition. Now, look at the footnote at the bottom of your notes. Because sin entered the world, you were born with a condition where your flesh was self-serving. Two-year-olds, that's all you got to say, right? Self-serving. Your body was prone to unhealthy appetites. Some of our, the appetites that God has placed within us can be very healthy, once we, but then when we take them outside of what he desires, they become very unhealthy quick, and the flesh moves us to the unhealthiness. Your heart was capable of much pride. Your will was rebellious. Your mind was susceptible to perversion and deception. Your conscience was dulled, and your innocence was lost. Now, some of you may be sitting here saying, well, at what point did that happen before you were born? Oh, okay. Some of you could be sitting here saying, you know something? I thought I just read in Psalm 139 that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I thought that marvelous were his works in which he put into me. But here's what we need to understand. Does God have a perfect rendition of who we are in his mind? Absolutely. But what happened? Sin entered the world. You take the perfection that God created in us and what we desire. Because sin entered the world, because of the sin of Adam, it's been passed down to us. All of a sudden, we have a mark against us. And it's everything I just described. We were born, listen, he created us in perfection, right? Just like Adam and Eve, they were created in perfection. But sin entered the world, and it was passed down. So when we begin to look at ourselves, we got to realize that footnote there is what we're up against when it comes to our flesh. So Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, you say, what is that all about? Well, here, here it is in a nutshell. Sin in your flesh wants to dominate your life. You know that, right? Okay. The key word to Romans chapter 7 in the passage we're reading is the word I. The word I is used 27 times in these 12 verses. Now, is that already going to be our problem? I. If it's rest on us, we have a battle to overcome to get to the right place, and it involves our, our flesh. So Paul was saying, I have an eye problem, and it's our problem. Our flesh continually wants to do, seems to want to do what is wrong, which is outside the bounds of what God has prescribed. And, well, and our new nature wants to do what's right. Now, if someone comes to me and says this, how do I know I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ? Here's what many times I'll say. Well, is there a battle that rages in your heart? No, no, she's talking about. Well, good chance you don't know what. 
The battle, listen, when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says the Spirit of God comes to indwell us. Our spirit is made alive at that moment. At that moment, there's a battle that wages within us. For some of us, we may not recognize the battle initially. That's the reason good discipleship is very important. But soon after that, we must discover that we are in a battle. There is something happening within us. The spirit that wants to do right, the flesh that seems to always wants to take us outside the context of that. So if we know that God created us with the best of intentions, with the greatest of potentials, he created us. The only way we're going to pull off what he wants is for us to live in the spirit. We will never have the incredible life he intended in the flesh. It doesn't add up. So really, if you were to say, okay, so, so now that we, 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 we were born, we were, we were fearfully and wonderfully made, God had great intentions for us, great potential. What messed that up? Oh, we were born in sin. We are constantly fighting to get back to what God intended in the first place. And it can only be achieved by living in the spirit of God, letting him call the shots. When we're sitting there perplexed, you remember the cartoons that used to have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, and they're sitting there? Well, they got it partly right. The, the enemy, the world, and everything's trying to drag us down. Our flesh is on one shoulder, but the Spirit of God is on the other shoulder, and it doesn't force himself. It basically whispers. It basically says, you know what's right. You know what's right. It's been ingrained in you. Here's what you need to do, but what do we do? Sometimes we step out in the flesh, into what is described here in this footnote. There is a battle, a conflict. So overcoming the flesh. Number one, come to terms with your condition. Number two, admit your struggle. Romans 7.15 says this. Paul says this, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. How many of you can relate to this one verse in Scripture? Yes, we find ourselves there. That is the struggle. Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, did not always understand what was happening in his inner being. Where, where, basically, here's the way I describe it. Paul's out there. He's doing great ministry, and he's doing this. He's doing that. Man, he's planting churches, and all of a sudden, something rubs him wrong, and he, ah. And Paul says there like, this verse tells me, well, where did that come from? First of all, I don't think he'd say where that would come from because he just told us. Well, there goes my flesh. Paul is not trying to give us an out to just blame our flesh. Paul is highly frustrated and agitated because of his flesh. He knows that it is something that, that is destroying his, the greatest potential God has for him. He knows that it's taking him away from God's best. He knows that when he acts in it, it's not going to end well. And he is, there's those things that he wants to do right. So here, here's what we need to understand. How many of us start the day with the best intentions? Today's going to be different. But by the end of the day, not even the end of the day, within the first several minutes of that day, <laughs> we're back to square one, the battle. We need to realize what we're up against. Paul was saying that he has a problem. Before you ever have victory in your life, you got to admit that you got a problem. You admit the struggle. Next, overcome the flesh. Realize the source of your frustration. Look at verse 16. He goes on. <clears throat> yeah, verse 16. He says, if then I do what I will not to do, 
I agree with the law that it is good, okay? He's basically saying what God says is the best, okay? I'm accomplishing. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's basically saying there's some modes of operation that go on within my heart. The mode of what the flesh desires, what it wants, the sin that it's so easily drawn to, and what the spirit desires. So then he says this, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. The problem with that is most of us are really not convinced of that. For some of us, we, we think that, well, the world says it's good, my flesh wants it, everybody else is doing it, so let's take a step towards that. And I'm here to tell you, it'll fail you every time. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived. I don't, know, I don't know how he got that title within the Bible telling him that because every decision, everything he did didn't seem to come up too wise, I'll be honest with you. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've shared this with you. He basically says this, I tried everything this world had to offer, and it's all vanity. He, he operated. He's admitting that he operated within this most of the time. And he stepped towards everything that God had forbid and he said, it came to nothing. It came to nothing. It wasn't God's best. I wasn't on the path. I'm weary. I'm tired. But I've tried everything. And I'm here to tell you, many of us fall for that. Many of us think, no, maybe the world knows what it's talking about. And it doesn't. But that's what it says. For, the, for to will is present with me. He's saying there's a battle of the will. But how to perform what is good, there's times I don't find it. For the heart, for the good that I will do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin do, dwells in me. He's not giving us an out. He's not saying all of a sudden, oh, couldn't do it. It's I did, the devil made me do it. Have you ever heard people say that? The devil doesn't make you do anything that you were born again Christian. The Spirit of God is sitting there in contention with what the will of the enemy is. It is a choice that we're making, a choice. And then he says this, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. So, so it sounds like if we cut it off right there, it's almost like he's giving us an out. This is just way more than we could ever imagine, and we're, we're just amazed that we even get it right some of the time. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about a frustration Something that aggravates him. Something that he hates about himself. Paul's saying, I had the greatest intentions, but at times I just can't seem to pull it off. Nothing seems to change when it comes to this. Now listen, it's not, it's not the idea, oh well, I can't help myself. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. That's not an excuse. You know how the world says it? The world says it this way, the heart wants what the heart wants. How many of you have heard people say that? And they mean it in a good way. They mean it as this is my motivation. What my heart wants, it wants and it must be real. No, it's not. The heart, listen, you know what the Bible says about the heart? The heart is deceptive at times. The heart can lead us astray. But the world, and it, doesn't it even sound good? It sounds good too, doesn't it? The heart wants what the heart wants. 
and I will not withhold what my heart wants. I don't care what the truth says over here. I don't care what God, who, the one who created me, says. I want the best for you. Live over here. I don't care because there's something in me that tells me I need something else. That's the world we live in right now. Overcoming the flesh, confront and battle your flesh. Verse 21, I find in a law, he's talking, when he says the law, he's talking about that motivation, the evil is present within me. He, again, here, when he looks at the law, he says, okay, God's law, okay, was this is the best of intentions, okay? This is what I want for you, okay? So, so basically, he discovered because of what God's law says, what his truth is, that's when he discovered just how out of whack he was, okay? That's where he realized that. For I delight in the law of God, because I know that's the best, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Now, what's your members? It's those things that we engage the world with, right? Okay? There's another mode of operation that's doing this. Warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It means everything about me has fallen. Everything about me yearns for something that's contrary to what God desires. And it's present with me. Again, when he says the law of sin, law in this context means mode of operation. It's just like the law of gravity. Everything pulls you down. And that's what sin does. If we went down to the beach today and found a dead seagull and just threw it up in the air, what's going to happen? It's going to fall back down. It, 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 why? There's no life in it. A Christian who tries to keep the law in their own power, listen, is dead. You, you see what I'm saying? It, it ain't going to work. Doesn't matter what you do with that dead bird. It ain't going to fly. Okay? Now, in Romans chapter 7, the key words are I, me, my, myself. In Romans chapter 8, the key phrase is the Holy Spirit in me. You'll find it several times. It's mentioned uh, in Romans uh, chapter 8 several times. Paul is basically identifying, I have no hope if I'm looking at Romans chapter 7 for direction. I've got to find what is greater in me and the, 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 what God desires for me in Romans chapter 8. So I encourage you to do a study of that. Anyone who tries to live the Christian life in his own power, let me just tell you this, you're going to fail. And that's what Romans 7 is all about. You're going to fail. Victory over the flesh, listen, is only found in the spirit. So look on your outline. Overcoming the flesh. How do we do it? Cry out to God for help. How do you know that's a good thing to do? Paul did it. Look what he says in verse 24 of Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The word wretched here in the Greek literally means worn out from exhaustion. He has tried to fight this battle on his own. He has tried to do it in his own strength. He's tried to do better, do good, and he realized he can't do it. It means having fought such an intense battle that you're completely exhausted. This describes many followers of Jesus. They have been fighting the battle so long in which they don't think they can have the victory. But Paul cries out in agony. God, I can't change. I cannot change in my own power. Who's going to rescue me from this situation? Paul says, that's the way I feel. I can't get rid of my old nature. How's he trying to do it? In his own strength. 
Paul, listen, he didn't want that in his life. When you get saved, let me tell you this. When you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your Holy Spirit comes to live within you, here's one thing that will change. Your want-tos. Your want-tos will change. I want to live the God, life God intended me to live. I want to live up to the fullest of the potential he has in me. I, I want the Spirit of God to have victory in my life. I, I want to turn it over to him. Paul's saying, I know I'm missing it big when I'm, not, when I'm listening to my flesh. He's basically telling us this. When you come to despair, you will have victory because Romans 8 is the key to overcoming Romans 7. Next, overcoming the flesh. Recognize where the victory comes from. Paul is at the end of his rope. In verse 24, he basically says, if you want to paraphrase, I'm doomed, what a wretched man I am. I'm worn out. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. But then he has a flash of hope and an answer. Verse 25, but I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. He comes to the conclusion that these two things are opposed to one another. He comes to the conclusion that there is a battle that is waged in him. As long as he is in this body of flesh, just like all of us, the battle will be present. The battle will be there. And he's admitting to that. So, the answer to overcoming the flesh is not going to come through your flesh, other people, better circumstances, promising to try harder. He says, who will rescue me from this law of this body of death? Verse 25's answer, thanks be to God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that the key to living the life God intends for you to live, the key to living the incredible life, the key to living up to your full potential of what God desires is found? What's the wording there? through Jesus Christ. What did he do on our behalf? He died and was resurrected, right? So the answer is in what? It's in death and resurrection. The whole way that we're going to defeat the flesh, and we hear it in Scripture many times, you got to do what with it? Reason with it? Crucify it. Literally means put it to death. Put it to death in order that there can be a resurrection. And what does a resurrection look like? It's where the Spirit of God moves. We call it resurrection power, don't we? The ability to live what God desires us to live. So, here's the way we look at it. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with whom? Christ. It's no longer I who live. Crucifying this, but what? But Christ who lives in me. I'm bringing that reality to my life that this is where I choose to live. This is my declaration that I will crucify that and I'll live in the resurrected power because that's what Christ brings. That's what he's talking about here. Next, and I'm going to go quickly. To live your God-given potential, you must have right perspective and attitude, but you also need to surround yourself with the right people. This is so vital. Let me tell you when God began to really move in my life. When I was in my early 20s, I was teachable. I really was. I mean, I, I was one of those people at the end of my rope. I had nothing else to do but to look up. Has God ever brought you to that point? That's a great teachable time in your life. And it was at that time that I cried out to God, and God began to surround me with people in my life. 
I, I literally believe that those people were sent to me. Sent to me. Here's what we need to understand about people. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Some of you who are parents are like, I knew that was in the Bible. I've been telling my teenager that all their life. I had no idea where it is. Here it is right here. Okay? All right? So who do we need in our life? Well, let me first start with what we don't need. We don't need firefighters. Now, we love firefighters around here. I don't know for whatever reason this church has a bunch of them, but we love them, okay? But I'm going to use them in the negative connotation here, okay? These are those in your life who seek to put out your fire, your passion and potential. They're the ones that God moves mightily in your life, and they sit there, and maybe, hopefully they don't say it out loud, but they're sitting there, well, we'll see how long this lasts. God bless you. <laughs> then there's the fire lighters. Those who want to help you and are willing to stroke the flames of your fire. You're finally headed in the right direction. You finally have the mind frame Christ that uh, God desires for you. You begin to understand the battle that's there, that's waging. And you begin to understand, hey, okay, all right. I need to surround myself with people who believe the same way. They're moving in the same direction. It will fan the flames of the passion that God has now placed in me. But then we need the type of fire lighters like this. We need fellow journeyers, those traveling with us. How many of you have people that you feel like you're in life with, they're just traveling with you? Y'all just trying to figure it out together. You need those people, educators, those who are instructing you. And you need mentors. Titus 2 tells us we need mentors. We need people who are further down the path that can help us where we are. So lastly, the incredible life includes realizing God created you particularly, that's uniquely, discovering your God-given potential, living your God-given potential, but lastly, and I've ended every week this way because it's so true, standing before God pleasingly. Paul says this, the time of my departure is at hand. Now think about what he wrote in Romans chapter 7. He was so agitated with the flesh. Who's going to deliver me from this body of flesh? He's talking about that deliverance right here. He said, time of my departure is at hand. I'm finally going to ditch this sucker, right? I have fought the good fight. I fought the battles within. I fought the battles without. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. I wanted it all along. For, for me, it was given to me by Christ. I'm in that, but now I'm going to be the epitome of that because this, it will be gone, this flesh. We shall, Lord, the righteous just will give to me on that day. Here it is, Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. You discovered your potential. You realized I had intentionality for your life. You lived it out. Some of you may be sitting here today and you say, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm 60 years old. I wish I'd have heard this in my 20s. I, I understand that. But it's never too late. I've met people who are in their late 50s, 60s, even 70s, wake up to the calling that was placed on their life and have done incredible things since then. Incredible things when it comes to that. Well done, good and faithful sir. You are faithful over the, a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into what? The joy of the Lord. No more battle. No more, oh, I wish... No more, oh, man, I'm so frustrated. You're living it out, and you get to that point where it, become, it blossoms. Let's pray. 
Father, we just come to you right now, and we realize, Lord, that all of us are prone to sin. All of us have that nature in us. Father, I pray if there's anything that took place here today that we have saw the condition of what we have to battle when it comes to living the incredible life that God has for us. Doesn't mean that smooth sailing, doesn't mean that no tough circumstances will come our way. No, sometimes that, that is necessary to bring us to, the, to where we need to be to understand what it means to crucify the flesh and live in that resurrection power that Jesus says is available to us. Father, I just pray right now for those that are here this morning, Lord, you'll just, maybe you've awakened something in them, a passion, a purpose, living up to their potential. I pray you'll give them that drive. Father, for the person that may be in this room and they've never began this journey, they, they've never started at ground zero where, where you desire to redeem them from their sin and bring them to, to a place of intentionality with their life that you desire to do so much more with them and through them. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they've never come to terms with salvation, I pray today before they leave this building, they would talk to a pastor, to myself, to someone to say, I need what God has for me. I pray that for them. Father, we thank you for what you've taught us in these last three weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.